So if you happen to be streaming this or listening in another way, we are in Belfast, Northern Ireland, uh, because every accent you've heard up until now has been American. So don't think you've got a different Fitzroy. Um, it's been amazing to hear, uh, and thank you for the contribution that our American brothers and sisters have made this morning. The first time I got a hold of this come and see, needless to say, after you've heard him this morning doing the children's talk, was Paul Bowman, not the apostle. Um, Paul was doing a, a talk to our youth leaders and he was uh, trying to encourage us about what our ministry was. It was in the welcome area. And he used this phrase that he used so wonderfully this morning about to come and see. This gentle way that Jesus invites people to investigate the gospel. Not in a more Northern Ireland way where we grab them by the throat and we say, let me share the good news with you. Sorry, I wanted a bit of distortion at that point. The time I wanted it. <laughs> let me share the good news with you. You're going to hell. Uh, come and see is a very different approach than that one. And yet it's an incredible way for us to invite people to find out who this Jesus is. Because if we don't taste him and he's just words, if we don't experience him as we were talking to the children about, then it seems to me to be a meaningless kind of thing. Jesus invites them to come and see. Now, I was tempted to, but I didn't. But if you want to read it later, not now. Although if I get boring, read it. What Gabby has just read has looked, see, or saw almost in every verse of it. John is obsessed with seeing. Here in John 1.39, come and see. John 1.46, come and see. John 4.29, the Samaritan woman, if you remember. Um, the man has told me everything I did. She explained, come and see. And even in John 11.34, when we're uh, at Lazarus's seeming funeral, uh, he asks where the body is, and they say, come and see. Come and see four times in John's gospel, and come and see seems incredibly important to what John's about in the editorial of his very different account of Jesus' life. John is all about seeing Jesus. And of course that's about seeing who Jesus is. John is keen for us to know that seeing Jesus is seeing God. If we go back to that incredible prologue before the reading that Gabby read, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The seeing for John is the seeing of Jesus. And the seeing that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which John says in the reading that Gabby did read. But just a few verses on from John 1 and 14. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. John is very keen to see or tell us to see or show us that the unseen God has now been seen 
in Jesus full of grace and truth. Chapter 14 and 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after you have seen after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? John wants us to see. And John wants us to see Jesus. And John wants us to see who Jesus is. And as Paul says, John wants us to invite other people to see this Jesus. But this week, while we were back in the, uh, back in the Newell room um, with the Calvin College students, uh, Andrew Cunning, a uh, young theologian from here, very edgy theologian from here, was speaking. And he pointed us, because he was talking about the theology of the ordinary. Andrew has done that with us in Fitzroy. Uh, some of you are maybe there when he did uh, kind of a gospel according to Marilyn Robinson a couple of Easter's ago. And he also was in, uh, the main instigator in the gospel according to Joni Mitchell that we did earlier in this term. But Andrew took us to that most famous passage, perhaps, in John. That passage where Jesus and Nicodemus are having their after midnight conversation. And he showed us those words that maybe we have slightly misinterpreted. Jesus replies to Nicodemus, Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Andrew confessed that, having grown up in Northern Ireland, that he, since a very young age, always was told or it was always insinuated that this seeing of the kingdom was something in the future. In other words, it was almost given to us as no one can get into heaven unless they are born again. But that's not what the passage says. As my good friend Sammy Horner often says, we know our theology, but we just don't read the scriptures. No, this seeing was not something for Nicodemus that was going to be down the road in the by and by after we die. Andrew pointed out rightfully, and John I think means if we read his gospel right, that we are going to see the kingdom of God in the here and now. Yes, we will see in glory, but it doesn't start in glory. We're not just waiting around here, oh, going to have to wait here for a while until we pop our clogs before we can see all this. Jesus is inviting us to see himself, to see who he is, and to start seeing this kingdom now. The already of the kingdom as well as the not yet of the kingdom. And Andrew went on to say that it is seeing the kingdom that is promised to those who are born again, and seeing that there is a connection between perception and salvation. There's a connection between perception and salvation. Our salvation, which is incredibly one-dimensional here in Northern Ireland, uh, is not at all one-dimensional in the gospel. It's not something that's a moment in time that we wait for another moment in time. This is a change from that moment on. That's the vulnerability of our offering today. When in the offering we offered ourselves like Philip and Andrew and Nathaniel did in John chapter 1, they offered, when they took that invite, when Jesus said, come and see, 
they move themselves in vulnerability into a world where what they would see would change everything else they would ever see. It would turn it all upside down, believing and seeing. Don't forgive me, blame Calvin, because they asked me to speak in you too this week that for the first time in a while, my tuning was into that. But in a song called Walk On, they sing, you're packing a suitcase for a place none of us have been, a place that has to be believed to be seen, salvation and perception, a place that we're going to, yes, that has to be believed to be seen. But then you could have flown away a singing bird in an open cage who will only fly, only fly for freedom. That was for a political leader that they were singing about, about the moment in the kingdom now as well as the kingdom in glory. What we see once we see Jesus for who he is changes all our perceptions. So if I could testify for a moment, personal, changing of seeing, what the born again does to your perceptions, salvation does to perceptions, what seeing Jesus does to your perceptions, can I share a little testimony of how that happens to me? And it comes at a time that seems appropriate because it comes at a time that I spent a few hours in prison on Friday night with Milena and Janice and, and a few others. Looking at what the prison board Northern Ireland do and what probation Northern Ireland do. It comes in the light of the best movie you're going to see that invites you come and, to come and see Jesus since maybe Chariots of Fire. Just Mercy is out this week, I think. It's this week. I think it might have been out on Friday. And Just Mercy is about Brian Stevenson, a Christian in America who went in as a lawyer and has saved 140 people from death row. And it tells his story as a, a lawyer who changes the world. It's an incredibly powerful story. I've read the book and I look forward uh, to seeing the movie. They've been all over Norton and the one show. In fact, Brian himself was on the one show. So, <coughs> so at a time when that movie is going to be hopefully a talking point um, uh, for the next wee while, and where I had the, uh, the interesting evening of being in prison, I thought I would use an illustration to try and illustrate what I mean by this change of perception. We were in Cape Town in 2002. Cape Town... Um, the Burnets have just been there. Have you been to Cape Town? You just, it's wide-eyed. It's just amazing. It's the most amazing place you could ever see in your life. You come completely wide-eyed. And then after a few years, I had my eyes opened. When a new team just arrived in, we had them settled in a place that for a couple of years had worked really well for us. And then on about the third night we were there, we were broken into and these guys had broken in and they had taken some of the stuff from the students. And this team was only in for two days. They weren't sure about Cape Town. They became insecure. I got a phone call where the family were staying. I was back down to the hostel. I was at, uh, just after midnight phoning the holiday inns around uh, Cape Town. I was getting us all on the bus, getting us all packed up. And within an hour, we were out of that place where people felt insecure and trying to relocate them. And if I could have got those wee urchins that night, 
I would have wrung their necks myself. And I'm not a physical person. I wanted to get them, to give them a good thumping, and then to take them to the police. I was so angry. The next evening, we happened to be, and I think I have confessed this before, and it's a tough confession for me. Of all the things I've ever told you, this is where I become most vulnerable. This is where I become most embarrassed. We went to a Ronan Keating concert. Um, (laughs) (coughs) Now, we went to Ronan Keating because nobody goes to Cape Town and Ronan was coming. And even more than that, one of my friends was playing bass guitar for him. So he should be more embarrassed than me. Um, So we decided we would take the students to Ronan Keating and they were actually quite pleased with that. Now, to be fair, first 10 minutes, It was a bit of a show, but then I get completely bored out of my head. Until Ronan Keating did a cover of a song that Elvis Presley had covered called In the Ghetto. You might know that song. People, don't you understand the child needs a helping hand or he'll grow up to be an angry young man someday. Take a look at you and me. Are we too blind to see Do we simply turn our heads and look the other way? In the ghetto is actually extraordinary for Elvis Presley. This is not about teddy bears or king creoles. This is politically powerful. This is spiritually potent. And it was one of his bigger hits. But this is a song about a lovely little baby being born, but being born in the ghetto. And they understand the song was originally called The Vicious Circle, the understanding that that child would grow up to be a killer someday because of the environment that that child was growing up to live in. And then it asks those of us in BT9, or if you're Hollywood, twice as good in BT18, just do we look and see that environment? Do we look and see the situation, as Stephen Biko said, don't go after the kid who stole the bike, go after those who created a world that he would have to steal the bike? This song is powerfully potent. I met Sandy maybe a few years later, and he was from the Cape Flats. And he told me that if he hadn't got on an OM ship out of the Cape Flats, he would have ended up in jail. It was just a simple decision he had to make at 17. He said, Steve, if I stayed here, there was no jobs, there was no education, there was no hope. I would end up in the gangs, I would end up in drugs, I would end up in jail, all my friends have. So I took the opportunity to get onto an OM ship and get me out of here. Environment, environment. And so what In the Ghetto does is, it first of all rehumanizes the one who stole our stuff out of that hostel gets us to see everything in a different way. It rehumanizes them. I had them as simply we urchins, we criminals, we bad little kids that needed a good. When we come through Jesus' eyes, we don't see people like that. We don't dehumanize them. We see them as precious, loved by God, not beyond redemption. And we also see the world and the environment around us and how that plays into much of our crime. Certainly the people that we heard about 
on Friday night were people whose situations, a 59-year-old man who just happened one night to have a few too many drinks and happened to hit another car and then do something else. He'd never had a parking ticket in his entire life, but the situation he found himself in caused him to make a mistake that led him into the courts and to be sentenced. As a 58-year-old man, I listened incredibly carefully. We see it differently. We see humans differently. We see that salvation of our society as well as individuals is important. And on Friday night, we had to be smart. Cheryl Lamont from the President Probation Board and Ronnie Armour from the prisons said something to us that was interesting. All of them, everybody within our prisons at this moment in time, all of our probation people who are in our community right now will be on the street again. So do we ignore them? Do we dehumanize them? Do we say they're criminals and don't give them any help? Or do we take what Jeremiah talked about to pray for the peace and prosperity of the city means praying as we build a city of grace, praying for the redemption of those who are furthest down the road to crime or misbehavior in our society. So from the anger, I would believe that through in the ghetto, and I believed it that night, that God spoke to me, which makes total sense. Makes total sense in the Gospels. Because if you're a footballer, and I used to be, speedy winger, they called me in the weekly news once, with great potential. No longer speedy winger or of any potential now, but there you go. Now, when you went in there and the coach came in and the coach started to talk to you, here's, you listen to everything the coach says. But in my reckoning, the first thing the coach says is going to be a really important thing. And the last thing before you go on the pitch that the coach says is going to be a really important thing. Now, yes, listen to everyone in between, but the first thing and the last thing, they must be quite crucial. Jesus starts with prisoners and Jesus ends with prisoners. And then a few minutes after or a few days after it ends, he finds himself in a cross beside someone who's been sentenced in our courts and someone who was sentenced in the courts was the first person to be told that they would be with him in paradise. Prisoners are incredibly important. And those in probation are incredibly important in the Gospels. The coach starts with it, the coach finishes with it, and the coach shows us the redemptive possibilities of those sentenced in our courts. Which led me, and I'm talking about me here, to ask myself, why was Friday night the first time I was in a prison? when Jesus starts with it and ends with it and shows us the power of it. The Holy Spirit was again at work helping the salvation that Jesus brings to giving me different perceptions of priorities and possibilities and potential in the world around us. Jesus invites all of us this morning to come and see. Come and see who he is. But once we see who he is, then everything else we're going to see has to be different. And we need to ask ourselves, is it different? And where is it different? 
This gospel's not about words. This gospel is about the power for change. Come and see. That's Jesus' invitation to us. Maybe it's an invitation we need to give to more people. Because if we've really seen the Jesus that I believe are in these gospel stories, we'll not be just as embarrassed to ask people to come and see him. But maybe then we need to be living lives that are so upside down, so otherworldly, that we would be dying to invite people to come and see. Let's pray together. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have seen his glory, the one who comes from the Father full of grace and truth. Lord, help us to see Jesus. And help us to realize that when we see Jesus, the salvation that he brings, our born againness, changes everything we see from there. Everyone we see from there. And may we live lives that have come and seen and have gone to see and do things differently. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a Redeemer. I finished uh, Friday night by using these words. I came across Jesus on a cross carved in sand on a Spanish beach. His luminous eyes pierced the night like nobody was out of his reach. There is a redeemer.